This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. And we're back with Chris Saxon on the VIP podcast, available to you on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Please subscribe, like, and share. Joining me today is our latest and greatest VIP, Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears. Great to have you this morning. Good morning, Mr. Saxman. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, wearing white today for women's yes. suffrage. Yes. Isn't it wonderful? Um, and you know, so many people, uh, women, uh, went to prison. It almost looks like a prison, but not exactly, <laughs> but you know because of right. this, and so right. here we are. Standing on the shoulders of giants, everybody paves the way for you. You never get you know, to any heights of success without other people having paved the way. I would imagine it has a little extra special meaning for you having become the first statewide mm -hmm. woman elected in Virginia. It does, but it doesn't because, oh, so my election was one day. All right, uh, I made history, first woman, first black, first immigrant, you know, all those firsts. But what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? After you've won, people want to know, well, what are you going to do? Right. How are you going to govern? How are you going to help us? How are you going to use the new power that we've given for you to ensure that we're represented for us right. and not for you? So, in, it, so I, I put the whole thing in totality. now. I love it as being the first uh, only because the children now will look at me and say, well, Winsome did it, and if she can do it, I can do it because, remember, I wasn't born here. This is not my country, not my culture, but thankfully you all let me in when I was six years old, and here I am today. So they can know, well, she can come from another country and be second in command of the former Confederacy, you know. Right. So there is that too. Virginia is making all kinds of history, all kinds of strides. And we have to acknowledge that we can't live in the past, right. which is what we like to do. So as we say, history, history. We're gonna learn from history because as someone once said, one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn and we keep repeating the sins of the past. So let's history be history and let's look towards the future. But in those moments when you see those kids and they say, wow, because a lot of times um, the kids that you've met with, they look at you and you say, look, all I did was study and, yeah. and stay in school mm -hmm. and keep working. And you will be considered to them one of those giants. Have you ever thought about it? Because you just said the, the, the women suffragettes who paved the way, who went to jail, who yes. suffered, who were beaten, the, mm -hmm. the whole history there, the mm -hmm. ugly part of that history. It's not just, you know, oh, we have... A new amendment, ta-da, yeah, I mean, yeah. it took, it was a fight of 40 mm -hmm. some odd years mm -hmm. plus mm -hmm. to get women the right to vote. Mm -hmm. Now kids are going to grow up realizing, yes, they can be, but they're going to look at you as well. So have you thought back, like, wow, I'm one of those, those giants, not to you, mm -hmm. but to them? Um, I, no, I, I just don't. I just see me as me. Okay. I did it, and it's done, and now we have to get on with the business of governing. It's, it just doesn't, I don't know, I, and, and it's probably a good thing I don't see myself in the way that some people see it. Um, 
it's just time to get to work. Well, and you mentioned that in your election night speech. Now we're going to be about doing the business of the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. And you also said on that night, making the transition, if we can, uh, we own the water fountains. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that? Because we, as I said, you talked about history being ugly. There are ugly parts of history. Sure. Right? Slavery was ugly. Slavery was genocide. Um, slavery, I, I can't even put into words how bad it was. We're not there anymore. We still have slavery today. Well, we have... In many ways. Yes. Different ways. But Different still, ways. Still. But I'm not talking that, about not, African slavery. Of course. I'm not yes. I'm, and I'm not diminishing it, but we still have the problem. Right. Uh, but we're not, the, we're not there. We don't have the segregation laws anymore. We don't have the miscegenation laws anymore. We don't have those. We don't have redlining anymore. Not the way that we had it before. And otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Right. I mean, let's think. This is the former capital of the Confederacy. My God, I, I'm a black woman, right? So I'm not just a woman, but I'm a black woman. I'm not just a black woman, I'm an immigrant black woman in second in command in the former capital of the Confederacy. If we can't acknowledge that God has brought us this far, then, then, then what is the point of it? You know, when I stand on the dais uh, and I'm gaveling the senators into session, and I, and I look in, in the gallery and I know that there are people up there who are immigrants and they're looking at me and they're saying, my God, this is America. You can still achieve the American dream. And you talk about the water fountains. So there are new water fountains to me now uh, are the ones that say Democrat, Republican, etc. Let me explain. So the new water fountains, they say, Democrat, and above it, black only. Oh, okay. That, yes. That was your reference. Yes. So it was, it was metaphorical. And, 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 then, and then the other water fountain that says white only, mm -hmm. it says Democrat, Republican, Green Party, Reform Party, Constitution Party, whatever. So we, as black people, apparently we can only vote, we, we can only drink at the Democrat water fountain. But the other water fountain that has all of the options that you can choose when you want to vote for somebody, that still only belongs to the white people? Who made those choices for us? No, no, no. We as black people, we're going to drink at whatever political water fountain we want, you see. Nobody dictates for us that we must be Democrats. No, we will be whatever we want to be. And you mentioned uh, in interviews after that that you said that um, blacks, because they are, they vote so heavily Democratic, they're taken for granted and they lose their political yes. uh, power, mm -hmm. especially black women mm -hmm. who have voted in the upper 90% for Democrats, mm -hmm. whereas men have drifted more towards yeah. Republicans, especially in the era of Trump and economic nationalism, mm -hmm. populism, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, have you sensed since your election, because you did so well with uh, African Americans with children under 18, probably on the edu education issue. Mm -hmm. Have you seen more of that, at least anecdotally, moving or open to the conversation with Republicans? So you talk about education, and of course, that's my bailiwick, because as you know, education is what pulled my father out of poverty when he came to America with the proverbial $1.75 in his pocket, and then you know he took any job he could find, put himself through school so that he can now be comfortably retired. Thank you very much, America.
America did that for him. The new redlining for me, so let's grab a piece of history, redlining in the past meant that black people could only live in certain neighborhoods, that they would, they would not get funding uh, mortgages so that they could live elsewhere. You know, there were covenants against us moving into areas, and this was in the North, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said he saw more, um, more discrimination in the North than he did in the South. That's interesting when he talked about Chicago, especially. So let's not uh, forget that there was that issue, too. Um, but to me, the new redlining is the zip code of education where we worship the building rather than the child being given the ability to move to any school that the parent wants them to go to. So we're, when you look at history, we, we've changed history for black people, but it's like we've changed it in a bad way. You know, the new water fountains are political. The new red lines are education, and they still keep us out. They still keep black people out from being their best that they can be. You know, I mean, we have in higher education the issue that you can choose any college and university that you want to attend, right? Right. Um, and we use public monies for that because the, 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 the deal... You can go wherever you want to. Wherever you want to. With public money. With public money. The, the money follows the child. The money follows the child. But not K through 12. But not K through 12. Who made those decisions for us? This, this is what I'm not understanding. So I'm here to say, we're not having that anymore. We are going as black people, as Asian people, as Latino people, white people. We're gonna do whatever we wanna do. This, my goodness sake, what, what century are we in? We're going to make our decisions for ourselves and we're not gonna let anybody tell us what we're gonna do. In that part of your uh, political dynamic now, your political future, your political past, you were a strong advocate of school choice, educational choice for parents, uh, you served on the State Board of Education, mm -hmm. and you don't come at the issue towards anybody, you're coming at it from the children's perspective, because you came in with choice. You came here to America with the understanding and hope that you would be going to, at least your parents had determined and grandparents determined, this was a better future for you. Yes. And that, so it's deeply embedded in you. And you, choice. You, and you, re you realize the success of that. Mm -hmm. But you also chose a different vocational path originally after, after high school. You went into the Marine Corps. Yeah. Well, I was supposed to go to college. I had everything all set, my books, my, you know, uh, my course, everything was all set for me to start college uh, that August. But then my grandmother died, my paternal grandmother, and I felt like my life was over. She died the month before, and when I looked at her in the casket and I thought, I was 18, and I was like, what is the purpose of life? This is you back know? in Jamaica. Yeah, she died in Jamaica, but okay. I, had, I went back to Jamaica right. for the funeral. And I just thought, you know, if all you're gonna do is die, then why live, you know? So I was determined at 18, I was just gonna stay in Jamaica and die, you know, just just die. I didn't see the point of living. And then my mother, cause mothers are so good about these things, she said to me, well, if you're gonna stay here and die. This was a conversation. Yes. <laughs> If you're going to stay here, I don't know why I'm shocked. I'm not shocked. I'm like, of course. <laughs> then I have some rules. 
you got to come in by a certain time, you got to oh. do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, and then you got to do that too, and then this and then that. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm 18. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm going back to America. And because in America, I make my own decisions. And so. you were going to go to college in America? Well, that was the plan. Okay. But remember, see, that my yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to say right. you, the college was in America. Yeah, but I knew I couldn't go to college. I, I didn't have the, the brain function for that anymore. I didn't have the drive. I didn't have any of that. And I thought. Because of your grandmother's death. Is that what you're saying? Right. Wow. It okay. just affected me deeply. And so, but it just so happened that my mother had a, a copy of a jet magazine, of all things, on her coffee table. And I turned it, uh, you know, I started flipping through it, and there was an ad for the few, the proud, the Marines. And, you know, he's standing like this, and I thought, yes, that's what I need. I need some discipline. And the Marines will give me a reason to live. So I came back to America, and that was the intent. I went straight to the recruiting station, and, and that January of the next year, I was at Paris Island being stung by those daggone sand fleas, but hey. And you were in the Marine Corps for how long? For three years and some months. Okay, mm -hmm. and you met your husband while in the Marine Corps? No, I met him after, after I left the Corps. I okay, met him. Yeah. okay. So a Marine, a Marine, uh, I mean Marine marriage. I mean, Marines are very, we have a Marine in our family, as you know, yeah. a son-in-law, who's a machine gunner now, he's at 8th and I, and uh, when you feel an attachment to the Marine Corps, there's something special about that. Yes, um, Marines stick together. They really do. Why is that? I, I, what is it about the Marine Corps? What is it about boot camp? What is it about being the tip of the spear yeah. that unites and bonds Marines like I've never seen in any of the other branches of the, of the military? The Marines have a camaraderie that others yeah, don't. Do. I don't know what it is. I, I, there's, I don't is know. It shared misery? Is it just the shared misery of Paris Island and the sand fleas? Is it just, yeah. Or is I, it because you are everyone's infantry? Well, we're all riflemen. All yeah. riflemen. Yeah, they, they threw a rifle in my face and said to me, this rifle is your best friend. So uh, anybody who joins any branch of the service and is thinking about, well, they're going to college out of it, you know, and they're going to get benefits out of it. No, no, no. Remember, you're joining a, a, a job. You're, you're going into a job where you could pretty much die. And, and, and so this isn't about college credits and all that. This is about the country you're serving, the other things that, you know, come after, so. Did that uh, reality that this is, this is a dangerous line of work, mm -hmm. um, it was the Cold War, and we're sort of teetering yeah. on the edge of being in it again, yeah. and that death of affecting you so deeply with your mother and not having a will to live saying, well, if I'm going to, um, you're, you're balancing the life and death scenario and you go to the Marine Corps. So you mm -hmm. sort of dive into it. And was that part of the thinking? Well, you know, this is going to, this is a, you know, an up or down situation. Was that part of the thinking? Like, I don't know what I was. Subconsciously? No, no yeah. it was more like, more like I needed a reason to live. Okay. And the Marine Corps would do that. For and you me. went in as and a I Jamaican. I needed the discipline. Yeah, I was, I was a Jamaican. I was a Jamaican citizen. I joined the you're Marine Corps. You're an immigrant. As, yeah. In the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps, willing to die for a different and you, country. And then you decide to join the United States. And then after a year of being in the Corps, I thought, it's time for me to be a citizen. And so I applied, you know, you have to study for this, study for that, and pass the test. And then, yep, uh, I think I was 21? No, I was 19 when I became a citizen. Yeah. Where, where were you inducted? 
uh, in San Diego, California. At the uh, at Marine Corps base at Pendleton? No, no. Um, no, and some judges. Okay, judges' yeah, chambers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I could not take my photograph for my new passport with my Marine Corps uniform. I was wearing my Marine Corps uniform when I went to take the photo, and uh, they let me know. The, you know, this is the thing about America. We're so different because the, the military does not dictate the future of the country, does not dictate the leadership of the country. The civilians are in charge. And so when you take your passport picture, you can never take it with any military uniform. I had really? to take a scarf. Yes, I had I did to, not know that. I, I didn't know it. I had to take a scarf that the photographer had, some red, dusty, ugly scarf, and throw it around my military uniform. Well, that could put it. you in jeopardy if you went into certain countries, if you were military. That's true, but that's not the reason. It's to show that... The civilian the, difference. The, right. Okay. The, the president is the commander-in-chief. The president is in charge of the military. Civilian. Not the military generals. Okay. What did you learn by being a United States Marine? Oh, I learned a whole lot. Um, I learned, very frankly, leadership. I learned that leadership is not something you say, it's something you do. I remember one of my warrant officers, um, we had an inspector general's inspection coming up, and my God, that you always want to pass those. Those are really brutal, and you work really long hours. And we were working for a good five days, I think, and the, one of the nights he came out and he spoke to us to encourage us that we needed to keep going. And then he did a very curious thing. He took his uniform off, put his camis on, his utilities, his boots, and he was pushing equipment with the rest of us, you know, and he was getting dirty with the rest of us. And he got more out of, a th out of us that night than he had in all the times prior. And that He got that more out of y'all because he was in the trenches with you. With us. And, and I and, learned leadership. And your history seems to, at least public history, mm -hmm. seems to replicate that. You like getting your hands dirty, if you will, in, in the How subject matter, in, in the, in whether you're on the floor in the House, when you were in yeah. the House, you were yeah. very involved in legislation, yeah. uh, intensely so. I remember that. <clears throat> and now as, as uh, President of the Senate, you are involved in every, every bill, every uh, debate deeply. And it, does that come from that particular element, that, what you learned in the Marine Corps? Well, it comes from everything. Um, it's also part of the Marine Corps' attention to detail, right? You hear that all the time. And so when, when there's an inspection of any kind, uh, Marines will, and I think this is all, all branches of the service, frankly, they, they look for areas that you're not looking for. So. The closet may be clean, but they'll push behind the uniform and they'll look for that one little area there and they'll rub their finger against it and say, see that? So you always have to be prepared for anything. You always have to look for those areas that other people aren't looking because it's war ultimately, right? And that you, little mistake can That cost. little mistake will kill you. And so you can't cut corners and, and I, I, I bring that to my whole life. You know, you have to be prepared. You have to look for those areas that other people aren't looking for. I'll give you an example. 
and I may be far-fetched in this, but I'm looking at the Marines, the bloodiest battle we ever fought was Iwo Jima. And we were raising the flag on Iwo Jima and um, January, um, I'm sorry, um, February 23rd. And as we, that's our anniversary for raising the flag on Mount Suribachi. Well, that was the same day that, as it turns out, Russia just now declared war on Ukraine. How dare they choose that day? But then think about this. Is that deeply offensive to Marines? It's offensive to me. Okay, and, and, that's enough. <laughs> uh, those of us Marines who remember it, you know, uh, and we're not, we don't forget it, of right. course. Um, so it's offensive to us, yes. But then let's go behind and see what else might be there. What else was happening uh, on, on uh, the, those days? Well, we were fighting Japan, right, mm -hmm. for control of the Pacific. Mm -hmm. Well, who else was Japan fighting, really? China. Mm -hmm. They had pretty much destroyed China, right? Well, who's back in the news again? China. And who's trying to control the Pacific seas? China. And, the, and so China now, to me, I think we have to be careful because I think somehow Russia and China are in this together, that they chose that particular anniversary, the raising of the flag on Mount Suribachi to declare war against, Russia did, against Ukraine. And then China is seemingly right here trying to make some kind of a play. Move on Taiwan especially. Yeah. So we have to understand that everything's going on. And I hope our president sees this. I hope our generals are watching. I, I hope our leaders are looking at this. I would imagine that they would, we can always hope. Um, your, your election to Lieutenant Governor, let's shift gears if we can and jump to that. Why did you run for Lieutenant Governor? You've been out of elective office, out of public service, at least public service for six years before that when you were on the State Board of Education. Yeah. Um, not elective been, office. Been, not, yeah, I've been out of elective office for 20. 20 years. Yeah. 18, not including the time you served. But why did you decide to run for Lieutenant Governor? Because somebody had to. And I got tired of um, arguing about what should be done and who should do it. Who are you arguing with? Yourself? Myself and, <laughs> and other people. You know, you write letters or you make phone calls and you say, hey, we need to take care of this. We need to look at that. And why aren't we looking at this? And, and how long is it going to be before we get some relief on this area? And, but finally, I just looked at the scores of our children. And the NAEP scores. The NAEP scores, the education again. It's National the education assessment piece of again. education performance. Education, you know, pretty much oozes out of my skin because, again, of my father coming to America with no money, and education is what pulled him out of poverty. Education will pull us all out of poverty. And I saw the children weren't learning. So the NAEP score shows that by the time our children reach the eighth grade in Virginia, when it comes to math, 35% um, of Asian children can't do it. It's 45% uh, of white children, 70% of Latino children, and this number brought tears to my eyes. 84% of black children are failing math by the time they're in the eighth grade. 84%. 84%. And by the way, 50, failing math. Failing math. By middle school. And they almost never catch up. And 50% of young black men are deciding to leave high school because for whatever reason. And economists tell us that the jobs today, today, not tomorrow, the jobs today, you're going, 70% of them demand something more than a high school diploma. 
So if you're even leaving before you have that high school diploma, what future do you have? So that, that's why I, I don't want you to talk to me about Republicans and Democrats and politics and all that. Your, your problem isn't that, I am, isn't that I'm a black Republican. The problem is our children aren't learning. So let's get off the all blacks have to be Democrats bandwagon, all blacks have to drink at the, the Democrat water fountain, right. and let's get our children learning. The problem, the problem is, is the problem. The problem is the problem. And the Be problem, especially, and I know you're, and especially after you're, after you, well, before, the week before you got sworn in, mm -hmm. you went to St. Bride's Correctional Center. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me, having known you for a while and your passion for education, you see these, these young men who used to be children who didn't learn, mm -hmm. who unfortunately get into social uh, problems, break well, the law, and they go and they're incarcerated. The and NAACP then, showed And then that. they learn. The NAACP show that 70% of the people who are incarcerated are functionally illiterate. The one follows the other, doesn't it? Yeah. And in juvenile detention centers... Well, if you don't have success vocationally in school, you yeah. will find Where are it, you going to go? You'll find it in... How are you going to <laughs> right. eat your bread? Right. The survival. Yes. So you steal, you break the law, you deal drugs. You do what needs you, you become violent because whatever you, you, can't, you need you to can't do get to ahead. survive right. right to survive well right. I, I don't want our children to survive I want them to thrive right we must have a hope in a future because here's the deal we are not on this planet by ourselves Russia just showed us that if we had forgotten China is Did showing we us that Did apparently we, we had because you know what we're doing in America we're fighting internally we're destroying ourselves internally uh, white against black against, Asian against, Latinos against, this one against, the, the, we're fighting, you know, the rich against the poor against, the, the middle class against, it. We, we are finding ways to divide ourselves. And, and Russia is just laughing. And China is just laughing. And, and we have to remember, if we are going to remain the number one superpower on this earth, mm -hmm. then we've got to get our act together. Our children have to learn. By the way, there's a PISA test, right? It's taken by 15-year-olds throughout the world. And it tests them in three subjects. Again, when it comes to math, you know where America stands? We're number, I think we're number 15. I can't remember. I think we're number 15. Uh, our children aren't learning. Against the world, we're the number one superpower. We should be number one when it comes to math. When it comes to reading comprehension, we're, bit, we're worse. What if, if, you, if you just segment out suburban kids mm -hmm. from that 15, urban and rural kids are probably even worse off. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I, I don't want to hear anymore that our poor kids can't learn because of their environment. I don't want to hear that. You know why? That's an excuse. We have studies to show that when they are taught well, then they learn well. But if your idea is to say, well, poor children can't learn because the fathers aren't in the home, because moms don't care, or whatever it is, then why are you in education? Why don't we just throw the key away on the poor kids? We're not gonna do that. Those are excuses. Our children will learn. We hear that there are bad apples in every profession. That's why we're not going to defund the police. We're going to get rid of the bad apples. They're bad policemen, they're bad doctors, bad lawyers, bad teachers, bad politicians, of course. So we're going to get rid of all of them, get rid of the bad apples, and run with those who have the ability, who are professionals, etc. 
We need to get rid of bad teachers, just like we need to get rid of bad uh, policemen, just like we need to get rid of bad lawyers. Nothing is sacrosanct when it comes to the future of our children. You mentioned the divisions within our country, mm -hmm. our, our people. We have two parties, it's binary, it's, it's A or B, it's red or blue. Mm -hmm. You mentioned on your uh, election night speech, which took the country by storm, we must not be divided. Yeah. We must not let that happen. How do we come together as a people? What is our unifying force or power? You know, people are breaking their necks to get into America still. You look at the southern border, right? Those people are fleeing communism. They're fleeing socialism. They're fleeing all kinds. They're fleeing gangs. They're, they're fleeing death and disease and, and no hope, no future. Because they know if they can get a foot on American soil, the trajectory of their, of their lives will you know, change, just like it did for us. My issue is do it the right way. Don't break the laws Legal. to come. You know. Um, legal immigration. Legal immigration. Um, there are a lot of people who are standing in line waiting their turn. That's the way we ought to do it. That, so, so I'm saying to you that if people from outside can see the beauty of America, then why can't Americans see the beauty of their country? Uh, you, you know, there, there are those people who want to keep dividing us because it fits their political agenda. You know, it and they helps. make a lot of money doing they it. They make a lot of money doing it. They get to stay in power and uh, all of that. We don't need those kinds of people in office because we see what it does in other countries when you don't have political power. Um, we just need to make sure that America remains America because there's no place else to escape. But you to. mentioned the beauty of America and we, have, we are forgetting it. We forgot our power against Russia, the former Soviet mm -hmm. Union. Uh, we're reminded of that starkly all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, the immigrant story, China your, and your, the your story. Mm -hmm. um, North Korea. You know, the, the promise of America, the American dream. I think you said that also on your election night speech. You are the American dream. Is, is that what is connecting with so many people is your story, the story of the immigrant, the, the, the former Marine, uh, the mom, uh, that propelled you upward. Um, is that some, that there's, a, there's a piece of you that everyone can go, I relate to that. I get her. I think so. I think. Is that a unifying force? Again, it's not well, about, it's not about winsome. It's not about winsome. No. It's, about, it's about living that experience that maybe we have forgotten. Well, here it is. What year are we in? 2022. And we're still talking about being able to achieve the American dream. It's not something that you read in history books. We can do it. And I think my win, if anything, gives people hope. A people without hope are a dying people. A people who without hope, there is no future. A people without hope drag through life. A, a country of a people without hope. Is it because we've achieved so much and we have so much, we have so much bounty? Is that, is that because, like, you know, I, I look at Thanksgiving, which is just like mm -hmm. the only thing you're supposed to do on Thanksgiving, a couple things really. Give thanks and eat. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty low bar. That's I think why everyone enjoys it so much. You go to sleep afterwards because <laughs> you're a big, fan. Well, it's, it's, it's a time to relax and enjoy. Yeah. And there's no, you have to buy presents and all the stress of Christmas and all that kind of stuff. But have we forgotten that true blessing of being a free people? You, you, one thing we're not recalling is that there have been times in past 
Thanksgivings where the presidents made speeches and thanked the God of heaven for the bountifulness that you're talking about. You know, that we're a country now, you know, that um, we are where we are thanks to you keeping us. And we look to you for continued blessings that, I don't know, um, we America, there's a part of America, America is this big country, you know, when I, when I go to Jamaica and I stay for maybe two weeks, when I come back, everything is big to me. The cars are big, the roads are big, the houses are big, the, everything is big. And so in Jamaica, we have a saying, big, big America. You know, we just, America's big. And I know to other people, America is big. America is just this, really, back to the biblical reference, the city on a shining hill, right? You can go any place else. Like if I was born in China, right? they would never call me Chinese, right? Mm. But if I was born in, in Russia, they would never say I was Russian. You, you, you put your foot on soil and say I'm an American and people go, yep, you're American. You're American. Because it's an idea, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's more, it's more about a philosophy. It's the hope. It's the, it's the possibility of the future. And have we lost sight of that? Do we not? I mean, is mm -hmm. that is that what's de degrading in our mm -hmm. societies? And I and I talk to a lot of groups, and I say, you know, never before in human history have we had so much. In 99.99 percent of all people who've ever lived, mm -hmm. the American people of today have far more than anyone else has ever had. Oh and yeah. Yet, and yet we're unhappy oh, yeah. with that. Unha it's blessing upon blessing. We're not saying that there aren't problems in America. We would be lying if we said that there aren't problems, but. Most people by now probably have become accustomed to my saying, which is the saying we have in church. I may not be what I'm supposed to be, but I ain't what I used to be. And that's America. She may not be what she's supposed to be, but she ain't what she used to be. We're getting her there in fits and starts. It is notable that when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, he wanted that paragraph about slavery. Mm -hmm. That was part of it. Right? He wanted but to be it, taken out. He, he, want, well, he actually wanted he to put wanted it on the it, king. Yes. He wanted to say, this is the king's doing. Right. And unfortunately, it was taken out. It was a compromise. And so uh, people, little by little, have been getting their rights, their rights, their rights. I remember when Italians first came to America, you know, they were dreaded. You know, mm -hmm. they were other than. I mean, the Irish, when they came to America, were other than. Everybody. My, my Catholic grandfather said, Catholics. Crosses were burned in his yard. I mean, if it's one thing we people, not just Americans, we people do is we are very good at dividing ourselves. So we're saying we recognize the past and we recognize the present struggles, but we're getting better. There is no place else like America, right? And, and we have to acknowledge those things. And finally, where are the Nelson Mandela's of America who say, you can't give back some of the things that have happened to us. We can't go. We can't give you back 20 years of your life. For example, if you in, were imprisoned wrongly, the abuses you suffered, we can't give those back to you. But forgive. Let's forgive and let's make it better. But you don't make it better now by discriminating against another group so that this group can get whatever it is that they're seeking. Nelson Mandela understood that if, that if he tried to make South Africans do that, they would destroy their country. 
-hmm. And he didn't want to be the point of destruction. He didn't want anybody to use the abuses that he suffered for their agenda. Mm. He said, no, you're not going to use me. What, you're going, what we're going to do is we're going to forgive each other and move on and try to rectify some of that, but we're not going to. Is, is that a missing element in the, in the conversation on race today? I remember back, I think it was 2007, uh, now Congressman Don McEachin put in a resolution mm. uh, whereby Virginia was apologizing for its role in the institution of slavery. Mm -hmm. And the first conversations we had were like, well, wait, wait a second. You're, you're trying to make us apologize for something we had no role in. Um, and that was, we went down the, in, the, in, the, mm -hmm. in the caucus room and said, no, we're going to go up and vote for this thing. Yeah. But, and we passed. It passed eventually. Um, I don't know how long the debate was or how, how intense it was, but we said, okay, we can do this. Eventually, it's long and short of it. To whom do we apologize as a, as a state, and are we forgiven for that? Roger Scruton, the English philosopher, says that, said, he passed, um, confession and forgiveness are the, are the, uh, the foundations of our society, mm -hmm. the Western society. Is there a place for forgiveness that has yet to take place, or is that, is that still part of the conversation that needs to be continued? Well, let's look at it in a family. And, you know, we could say the American family, right? The American family. We do have to apologize to the Indians, the Native Americans. We did them wrong. There was genocide there. And the sins of the fathers shouldn't be put on the children. The Bible tells us that. No, the soul that sins is the soul that dies, right? You're responsible for your sins, and I'm responsible for mine. And yet there is a collective sin that the nation has done. And certainly, we needed to have apologized for the, the way that we treated the Native Americans. And then we do have to apologize for the way that we've treated black people. We do. Um, it's like coming back to the family. Let's say Uncle Arthur and Uncle Bob. And Uncle Arthur stole the inheritance that belonged to Uncle Bob. Um, Shouldn't Uncle Arthur's children, because Uncle Arthur never did apologize, and it's created bad blood in the family. Mm -hmm. If we want reconciliation, his children ought to come uh, to the children of Uncle Bob and say, you know, Daddy did you wrong, and we're sorry. We want to be family again. Let's work together. Let's do you think we do that? Do you think we can do that as a people? I think there's. Uh, I the think we can there, do it. Too many forces that keep us apart intentionally. If those who say that they really want America to be America, if Uncle Arthur's children comes to Uncle Bob's children and says, forgive us, and then if Uncle Bob's children say, yes, we accept your apology, um, we can't go back, right. and you didn't do those things, Uncle right. Arthur did But then. acknowledge it. And acknowledge embrace, it. Embrace and go, it. And go forward. And let's figure out how to go forward together. Okay. Not with, you know, and I think that the people who want um, certain things to happen, you know, Democrats, let's say, um, I don't think they mean ill, but I think the way that they're going about it, it's not going to work. And there are some who are really wanting us to be at each other's throats mm -hmm. because then it advances their agenda. Well, you're not, no, you're not going to let, the, 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 you're not going to use the abuses, the grievances, 
that black people suffered, we're, we're not, you're not going to use that for your nefarious agenda. We're not going to let that happen. But we're not, we're going to go forward and our children are going to thrive. America will thrive. The poison of unforgiveness, we have to stop drinking that. We, we have to forgive. The poison of unforgiveness. Yes, we're going to, yeah, there's a bottle here and it's, it's unforgiving. Yeah, and we keep drinking it, thinking, you know, that no, we're hurting and the people who have hurt are hurting. Okay. And it's time that the American family come back together. The fabric is too frayed. And as I said, you see, the Vandals and the Visigoths, they're at the door. They're back. Let's uh, very quickly, I know you got a limited amount of time here. Let's talk about the General Assembly. We've got mm -hmm. some issues popping. Uh, Republicans ran on reducing the gas tax, and all of a sudden we've got a gas uh, spike in prices. Pretty, uh, pretty forward thinking there. Yeah. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? Well, the, 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 the signs were already there. You know, we gas were prices were going up throughout the summer. Yes. Viable. And it was time for us to call issue. a halt and, and to say, ease up on the, the citizens. You know, uh, we're, we're paying too much in, in gas taxes. We're paying too much in grocery taxes. The, the veterans are paying a tax on their benefits, which they rightly earned. We rightly earned. Um, the, the people are being taxed to death. And the Along with inflation, which is the hidden tax that is really punishing for yeah, folks right and now. And the businesses were being taxed um, uh, to death as well because, you know, first the powers that be, the Democrats, shut down the, the, the economy and then when they open it back up, they open it up back up, not to small businesses, but, but to big box stores. So the mom and pop stores, they yeah, died. The, the gyms, they died, you know. Um, People were, were killing themselves, committing suicide because they had lost the family Ooh, business, yeah. you know. And people were going into their 401ks. So we say all that to say it is time to um, ease up on the gas tax, which is what the governor has been pushing for and which the General Assembly wants, although, you know, some people don't want that. Um, the grocery tax needs to go because it is a regressive tax. Uh, we need to give small businesses that one year of grace where we're not paying the tax. And by the way, the B-Poll tax needs to be gone, period. It, how, how are you going to tax businesses on not profits, but on all monies that come in? Who are you, God? Well, so, th this brings into the, the conversation the uh, Stadium Authority Bill, <laughs> which brings the tax break yeah. uh, to build uh, a stadium for yeah. uh, we should not be giving billionaires tax you know a free stadium no we we everybody has to have skin in the game we need to make sure that Virginians are protected we need to make sure that we're not going to be left holding a 30-year-old stadium when this is all said and done and um, in the meantime uh, the billionaires or whoever else they own other property that Virginians don't have access to, Virginia's not getting the profits off of, but that those properties that the billionaires own would not have been functional, would not have pro profitable had Virginia's not built the stadium, you see. You also want to invest in historically black colleges and universities. Have you spoken with the governor about that uh, to try to get that done? And to what extent is that? Do you see that going on in the general? Well, Assembly you know, the governor had that part of his idea, and and so uh, 
you see now that we're fully funding. We're going to fully fund. It's in the budget. He's put, in, put it in the budget, and that's one of the things I said in my um, election night acceptance right. speech. And so, and, but he's been saying it, you know. But you're in concert together. Yes, yeah. This. yeah. Um, and so we're going to fund them, including the ones that they say are private HBCUs. Hampton. Yes, Hampton, uh, VUU, and all the others. Okay. Um, because it's necessary now. Some people say, why do we need to fund HBCUs? Well, you know, it's the history again. You know, uh, they're also we good at what they do. And, and yes, yes. I mean, 25% of all um, black college graduates actually come from HBCUs. So they're doing a good job. And by the way, the STEM that we, you know, sci you know science, technology, mm -hmm. all of those, math, they produce more black college graduates in those fields than any other uh, type of colleges and universities. So if it's working, let's keep it going. Sure. You know. All right, let's finish up here. We'll get a little personal, not too personal. Okay. Favorite TV shows? You know, I just like, I like documentaries. Okay. I like, um, like real the, life, but. Any documentary in particular you can remember, recall off the top of your head that you like? Well, Nothing that's too, it, it's like slavery movies. I don't watch those anymore because they make you want to hate people. And, I don't, and I'm oh. tired of hating. I'm, yeah, I, I okay. want to go back in those things that just. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I can watch war movies, but only to a certain point, you know, war documentaries, you know, okay. when, when heads are chopping off and all that. It's just too real. <laughs> so that's why when I watch movies, I don't want to see what that. Real like? life is what, bad enough. What movies do you like? What's your favorite movie? Well, I don't like rom-coms because the, the formulas are stupid to me. You, know, you can, <laughs> you you can see what's going to happen. If I can write the script. So you don't watch Hallmark Channel Christmas movies? No. That, if, you hear that, Michelle? <laughs> your friend doesn't want to watch Hallmark no, either. because <laughs> I can write the script. If I can it's write the, the script, script, then why would I pay for it? It's the same it? script. Exactly. So, all right, so, what, what's your favorite movie? You had to watch one movie tonight, you go home, what are you going to watch? Uh... You know, I got, I, I, I don't know, I like uplifting movies. Okay. I, so I'm not going to say. Okay. Just. I've always loved Terms of Endearment. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like movies. Good, is that uplifting? That's not uplifting. It is to me because it's about family dynamics. Okay. It's about also forgiveness. Okay. It's, it's about the future. You know. Yeah, I got in trouble with my date at that one in high school. <laughs> she, she goes, what do you think of that movie? I was like, I thought Nicholson was hilarious. She goes, you don't think it was sad? I was like, which part? She goes, yeah. the part where the mother dies, dies. at the end from oh. cancer. I'm like, oh, yeah, but I so really like Nicholson. So you know the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, I went to it. I got in trouble yeah. that night. Um, <laughs> so favorite books? Well, I have quite a few, but most of the books that I like are the same. They, they're uplifting. There's a lesson in them. There's something that I can see that pertains to my life and how I can make myself better. Okay. So I love biographies. Okay. I, I, I love, um, so, you know, like the ones about that Margaret Thatcher and Golda Meir, like women. Okay. Like men too, but uh, especially like women. Women political because, leaders. Yeah. Political leaders. Wearing your wife for suffering. I like hearing about people sure. who came from nothing and they did massive things with their lives. I like reading about Mother Teresa too. You know, I mean, people who start with nothing. And okay. success isn't, to me, just money. 
and power and control. Success is that you're comfortable within yourself. Because there is, you know, you hear about no. people who are surgeons and they leave it to become landscapers, you know? Well, it seems like uh, Lieutenant Governor Winston Earl Sears, you're a success because you are comfortable in your own skin and people like your authenticity that flows from that. So we'll see where this biography ends up, uh, I'm sure, in the years to come. This is Chris Saxon on the VIP podcast with our, break, with our uh, new VIP, Winsome Earl Sears, the lieutenant governor, no longer lieutenant governor-elect, the lieutenant governor <laughs> of the Commonwealth of Virginia, number 42, the same number as Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. That's a pretty special number there. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe, like, and share from YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Thanks for joining us. And get rid of that VIP stuff. What VIP stuff? This? <laughs> no, I'm not VIP. Oh, okay. <laughs> Virginia in politics. Oh. There we go. See, now we, we explained it. <laughs> <laughs> never, never a dull moment with you. Thanks for joining us.